Hey friends, this is Reiko Zek. I'm the pastor at St. Paul's, and you are listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. So glad you have listened in. Today is January 15th. This is day number 15 as we're reading through. But we pray that we will grow in faith, right? There is going to be many oppositions to us personally and uh, in our whole country this year, even today. And so we pray that God would give us faith to to struggle and to be faithful. We know that he is the faithful one, but we want more faith. So how do we get it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we pray that as we read, we can hear and see Jesus, God at work. And we do see God at work here in our readings today. Today our readings are Genesis 31 and 32, a little bit of Matthew 10 and 11, a portion of Psalm, all of Psalm 13, and a little bit of Proverbs chapter 3. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining me today for this. Let's jump right in. So yesterday we saw that God had spoken to Jacob. He's in, been working for his uncle Laban for 20 years, and we see uh, it's time to go. The Lord says to him, uh, sort of in the, in the midst of the conflict, some of Laban's sons are, are jealous. They're angry at him because Jacob is prospering, and, and they just are not. And so they're mad, and so God says, now is the time. Get up and go back to your homeland the land that I've promised. And so he, Jacob calls his wives to him and tells them what the angel of God, what God himself had said to him. And they say, uh, very faithfully and trusting, they say this, that um, whatever God has said to you, do. They trust their husband and they're ready to go. They, they pack up and go. And so we pick up today that Jacob just, boom, he arises he set his sons and his wives on camels, and he, he goes. He goes out, and for uh, for three days, Laban does not know about it, but eventually Laban finds out, and he's mad, and he, he pursues Jacob for seven days. And so finally, they come to the land of, of Gilead, which is uh, not too far from where Jesus grew up. Uh, it's across the Jordan River, and it's south of Galilee. It is, um, it's, so it's not, it's not too far. Um, and they get there, and Laban uh, is so mad, and he, he says this, What have you done that you tricked me, literally stole my heart, and driven my daughters like captives of the sword? But remember before this, uh, Laban has a dream. And uh, he's, Laban has a dream, and he is told, Don't say anything good or bad to Jacob. Well, Laban doesn't regard this. In fact, he, he does pour out his heart, his heart of anger uh, to Jacob. So one thing I, I noticed in this chapter is Laban's character. Before I kind of thought Laban had a pretty good case and uh, Jacob is really the one, you know, his name means deceiver. And so really most of this is Jacob's fault. But reading today, I see that Laban still, he's a man who does not know the true God. He is a man who himself is a deceiver. Uh, and d- himself is sort of oppressing and using his his son-in-law and trying to get more and more and grasp and uh, holds on to his own gods. And, um, you know, he has poor character. We'll, we'll get to that. So remember, um, in this story, there's um, Jacob. Jacob is, a, uh, he's not a, a, without fault, right? He get up, gets up and leaves without even saying goodbye to Laban. And so in some ways he is at fault there. 
And also, it points out that Rachel is at fault. Rachel stole her father's household gods. And, um, and Jacob tricked or stole Laban's heart by not telling him that he intended to flee. So both Jacob and Rachel are at fault here. But think about this. Why did Rachel steal her father's, her father's household gods? Like, she could have just took off and gone, but nope, we're going to stop and we're going to get out of my father's tent these these household gods. These literally, they're called teraphim. And when Laban catches up to Jacob, he says, what have you done? You've tricked me. Um, and you've driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. They don't, he doesn't think that his daughters would willingly go with this guy. He still has not let his daughters go. He still thinks that they are his. And he even says that later on. What have you done stealing my daughters away? And then he goes on and says, and why did you steal my gods? Right? And so Jacob's like, well, I was afraid. I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Think of all the conflict is in there, uh, this relationship. There is just so much uh, illness, crookedness. It's not a healthy family, right? Well, Jacob doesn't know anything about the gods. And so Laban uh, knows that his gods are gone. And um, Rachel is sitting on them and she says, the way of women is with me. So Laban is looking everywhere for these gods. They are valuable to him. He wants them back. Of all the things that Jacob has taken, you know, all these animals, which are rightfully his, his daughters and his, uh, his sons and, and grandsons and granddaughters, rather, what he wants back, what he demands back, are his household gods. Literally, teraphim is what they're called. And Rachel also wants them. Why? Why would Rachel want them? Well, we can see here that Rachel, though she does believe in the in the true God Yahweh, she also she also is holding on to this this also with these other gods as well. And why? Well, I was reading about this, and these teraphim were probably little statues of almost the size of a Barbie doll, and they were these goddesses, and they would be used to try to you know, induce fertility. Remember, at this time, Rachel only has one son, and she named him Joseph, which means the Lord adds to me. She wanted another son even besides Joseph. She is craving for more children, and so she is going to keep these household gods, these goddesses, literally, that will help her. So she has a long way to go in faith. Um, she does not trust in the one true God. Well, Jacob defends himself and, and says how he, for 20 years, he's served um, Laban. Interesting, too, he credits all his success, not to his own ingeniousness, but he says this in verse 42, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And Laban thinks that everything is still his. But interesting here, this that Isaac, that, that Jacob refers to God as the fear of Isaac. It, I don't know, very interesting. Well, they end up making a covenant, and in this covenant, they set up a pillar, and Laban says this, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. Interesting though, in Hebrew, it's plural. It's 
the God of their father judges between us. So, so Laban is almost referring to two different gods, the God of Abraham, Yahweh, this new God that Abraham took, and the God of Nahor, um, who is the, the father of Abraham. Um, and so they, he says, may these gods be the judges between us. And so Laban is still a pagan. He doesn't believe in one and only one true God. He believes in many gods. But Jacob, when he swears, he swears by the fear of his father Isaac. He doesn't swear by the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. In other words, more than one God. He only, fears by, he only swears by one God. And again, he calls him the fear of his father Isaac. Right? This one and only one true God whom we are to fear. And as Luther might say, we are to fear, love, and trust him above all things. All right, alone. And we see that Jacob's own, own family has much to learn in this. Well, anyway, they, they make this covenant, they sacrifice, and make a sacrifice, and they seal it with a covenant meal, right? This is the same thing. This is echoes leading into what we celebrate with the Lord's Supper, which is a covenant meal. It is a, a sacrifice. It's a once and done sacrifice for us, but it's also a meal that we, um, it, that we partake of, right? So, then we see in, in chapter 32, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. It's an unusual phrase that's only used of Jacob uh, here and also earlier when he sees this stairway or ladder to heaven, uh, God coming down or God being at the side of the ladder. And he sees that, says this, that when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place uh, Mahai Naim. That's an easy one to say, which means two camps. There are two camps. And so Jacob gets this beautiful glimpse of not only his camp, but the he sees what is here and unseen, which is that there is another camp, uh, the camp of God, the camp, the camp of God's angels around this. And we'll, we'll pick this up later in Second Second Kings, I believe, with Elisha and his servant. His servant is afraid. And Elisha prays and says, show him, God, show him what's here. And so we... The, the servant sees the multitude of the heavenly host, which means the heavenly armies, and says, there are more of us, there are more with us than there are with them. And so that's a, re, a beautiful phrase for us to remember. Though Christianity, in some senses, the numbers of us Christians is going down, there are still more of us, there are more with us than there are with them, because we have the whole heavenly host on our side. Do we always see it? Do we ever see it? No, much and mostly by faith. But we get glimpses like, like Jacob does here. He gets a glimpse of the reality that God is with him and the heavenly host are surrounding him. And so he, he calls that place two camps. And then we he hears that his brother Esau, uh, is um, he sends a message to him because he wants to reconcile. He thinks that Esau still wants to kill him. And he might be thinking rightly. Last he heard from his brother is, I want you dead. So he sends, well, so he divides his camp, similar to the word two camps up there earlier in the passage. And then he prays, and we have this beautiful prayer. I'm just going to pray the whole thing, say the whole thing here. Read it. Jacob said, this is verse 9 of chapter 32, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Yahweh, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of chesed, steadfast love, 
and all the faithfulness, the emmet, that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me. Please save me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring, your seed, as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So our reading today ends with this prayer of Jacob. We can see how he has grown in faith. The last time we saw him pray, he basically made a vow that said that if if God will protect me and provide for me and bring me back here, he will be my God. Uh, you, Yahweh, will give will be my God and I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. So God is the one who kept the vow of Jacob. Jacob um, has grown in prayer. And we see this as a beautiful prayer where he, he refers God to his own promises, which is always a beautiful thing for us to do. And he says that he is not worthy. All the success he has is in part is because of the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. Wow. So good stuff there. Beautiful things to remember. We see in our gospel reading, we won't spend a lot of time on it. Let me flip over. Matthew 10, um, we see that there's a lot we could we could ponder here, but that same, you know, in, in Genesis, we have a lot of fear language. There's the fear of Isaac and how Jacob is afraid of Laban. And now he's, again, afraid of Esau, his brother. And yet here in this passage, Jesus tells us, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So this whole fear uh, language comes again. He says, rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, know who God is. He is the fear of Isaac. So he says, be afraid of that one who can do uh, what no man on earth can do. He says, But then he says, uh, God is the one who knows the hairs of your head and knows when the sparrows fall and all these things. And then he says, so don't be afraid. So, he says, don't be afraid of men, but be afraid, fear God. And then he says, actually, don't be afraid, right? So we are to be afraid and we are not to be afraid. What is it? And the answer is yes. We are to fear, love, and trust in God. We are to give him our reverence. Um, and knowing who he is, we are to obey him and trust him. And then in the end, he says, don't be afraid, right? I am with you. So it's a beautiful thing. I think there are 365 don't be afraid in the Bible. And so here's here's one of them. We are to not be afraid of those who kill the body. We are to be afraid of the one uh, who, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And yet in the end, because of Jesus, our Messiah, we are to not be afraid. It's beautiful. Uh, and Jesus is talking to his disciples who he is preparing them for the world hating them because of him. And he says to them, take up your cross. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And this is the first mention of the word cross in this gospel. And it refers to our cross. Jesus says that we are to take up our cross and follow him or we're not worthy of him. These are hard words, hard words, but they're also good words because in the cross we find life. Jesus says as much. John is enduring a cross, John the Baptist, when we get to chapter 11, he is enduring a cross. He is in prison. He is about to lose his head, literally. And so John is in prison. He hears about the deeds of the Messiah. 
he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one? Are you Jesus, the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, we know John had great faith. Does that mean that he had weak faith now? Yeah, maybe. He's in prison. It's not going quite the way that he expected. But I think, and you might have your own theory on this, but Jesus is out there doing these good deeds, and John is in prison, and and he has disciples. We see from John chapter 1 that, that some of the disciples of Jesus were earlier disciples of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had said, Behold, look, look at the one right there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then so some of the disciples of John begin to be disciples of Jesus. And so I think John is still doing that in his last hours. He sends some of his own disciples to Jesus. Are you the one? I think he already knows. He already knows that Jesus is the one. He baptized him and saw the Spirit descend. He heard the voice of the Father. So I think John knows. He may be struggling in faith and in wanting assurance for himself, but I think he is pointing us to the assurance. So what assurance does Jesus give? And I think this is helpful for us. He says this, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. And then he talks about the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, those with leprosy being cleansed, those who are deaf hearing, those who are dead coming back to life. Good news being proclaimed to the poor. That is, those are deeds that no man on earth can do. There is no magician on earth who can do those things. There is no physician in the world who can do those things. There is no wise man. There is only this man, Jesus. And so Matthew calls him the deeds of the Messiah. And so we look to the deeds of the Messiah. Could this be the one? Yes, this is the one. Because of the life he lived, the things he did. And, of course, the words he spoke, including, as, as we end today, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So, beautiful words. Psalm 13 is another one of these lament songs. We don't have, we have praise bands in uh, evangelical churches, but we do not have lamented bands. But a lot of the psalms are full of lament. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It goes on. It ends with, but I, but I trust in your your chesed, your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I can imagine today that Jacob is praying Psalm 13. It's a psalm of David, but it could just as well be a psalm of, of Jacob as he is, is asking for God to protect him, as do we. we. We ask the Lord to protect us. And so we say to the Lord, this is verse 3, Look on me and answer me, Yahweh, my God. Jesus Christ, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And then the Proverbs end. Uh, I like verse 18. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. For those who hold her fast will be blessed. We see Isaac growing in faith, taking hold of the tree of life, taking hold of the fear of Isaac. And so do we. We know that Jesus is really the tree of life. The one from whom, through the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are given to us. And so we take hold and we are blessed. Well, that's today's reading. A little bit of rambling and, and uh, meandering, but thank you for joining me. I pray that God gives you more faith. We see here Jacob clinging to the promises. Go and do the same. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.